Welcome back. You are listening to Nathy Hate on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to like the video and subscribe to the channel if you have not already, and ring the notification bell in the upper right-hand corner so you're notified each time a brand new episode goes live. And if you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in the description below. Donate any dollar amount, ask a question, we will answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. And with that, I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Modern Vintage Gamer. Hello, Nate. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on, and I'm excited to talk about today's topic. Yes, we have two topics, but around one central theme, and that is going to be about Bayonetta 3, which has just come out on the Nintendo Switch from their development partners at Platinum Games. And the first topic we're going to get into today is... Bayonetta 3's performance in terms of both frames per second and resolution. There's been a lot of discussion about Bayonetta 3's performance ever since the reviews dropped earlier this week, where individuals were making declarations and reviews where they didn't notice any frame issues that they went as far to say that it has rock solid performance which would actually be a first for a bayonetta to have rock solid performance at launch we've seen these games get improved performance when they were re-released on more powerful hardware when bayonetta one went to switch we saw a considerable improvement over the original release of bayonetta especially when you look back to the 360 and PS3 versions of Bayonetta 1. And the PS3 version is infamous for its horrendous frame rate. And basically it was running in witch time the entire game. (laughs) But the 360 version was far better, had a bit more of a stable frame rate, still not a lock 60, but in comparison to the PS3, it was a night and day difference. When the game came to the Wii U, it saw some improvements. But the Switch version was, the at the time, the definitive version to play. That changed when Bayonetta 1 came to PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4, or now if you play them on your Series X or PS5, where it's pretty much a locked 60, definitive way to play the game, higher resolution, spectacular way to experience Bayonetta 1. So if you haven't played them, you can get it pretty cheap on those platforms. Bayonetta 2 was on Wii U, had some performance dips, came to Switch back in early 2018, saw about a 10 frame per second increase over the Wii U version. So still not a lock 60, but much more stable in comparison. Enter Bayonetta 3. And a lot of talk around Bayonetta 3, especially in the preview stage just a few weeks ago, was how is the game going to perform? We saw a lot of trailers gameplay trailers where it looked as though it may be stable. Then Game Informer put out a a horrendously advised video where they, for some reason, captured the game at 30 FPS, published a video where the game had significant drops, and it was really a bad means of introducing gamers to the title. And they quickly pinned a comment apologizing for a rendering issue. But it started the conversation of what's the performance of the game? And I understand that you're a very fortunate individual where your copy was shipped early 
and you have gotten the opportunity to play a bit of Bayonetta 3. I have, Nate. I have an early copy of the game that I got today, and I've only had about, oh, I want to say about an hour and a half to two hours of this game. So, you know, I want to be very clear that I'm just starting to play the game. I think from what I've been told, it's, and you can tell me, but I think it's, I believe it's like a 10 to 12 hour game uh, in its entirety if you play through Mm it. So I'm I'm only a very, very short uh, part into the game. But here's the thing. Here's the thing with Bayonetta 3. So far, my biggest issue with the game that it just, there's just something really off with the performance of this game. Now, um, I'm going to try to explain this as best I can. But first of all, the art style is is gorgeous. You know, Bayonetta 3 is a very striking game in the, you know, in the same sort of art style as the previous games. If you love that purple aesthetic, it, you know, and big kind of particles and, and post-processing effects and all these battle effects, you're going to love this game. And there's so much of that here. This is really a, uh, it's almost a love letter to the fans in many ways. But the actual problem with the game is uh, there's a couple of things that are going on here. First of all, Bayonetta 3, like Bayonetta 1 and 2, kind of targets 60 FPS, as you mentioned. But it doesn't come close to hitting 60 pretty much most of the time. There's slowdowns. There's all sorts of just performance issues that I'm seeing in the game. And I noticed it almost immediately when I started playing. In fact, even though it does supposedly target 60, what's really happening is it's probably running along and I don't have, you know, any frame rate analysis uh, at, at this time, but it's probably running along at about 45 FPS, which to my eyes you can, I can sense that. I know when it's not running at 60 FPS. And then there are moments where it does um, hit 60 for a, for a brief moment and everything feels silky smooth. And then all of a sudden it kind of drops back to that 45 frames per second. So the performance really is just kind of all over the place. Now, I will also say that um, I'm someone that is very sensitive to frame rates and and especially if the frame rate isn't stable and I do see it running around and a great test for me is literally just sitting you know in a scene and just rotating the camera around the player you can really get a sense of you know how, how fast things are and, and what the what the frame rate looks like but there are a lot of people out there that won't even know and I think when we talk about reviewers some reviewers said that they didn't notice any frame rate issues or the frame rates were good or performance was was generally good. That's simply because they're not they're not really seeing it because even though the game is not running at 60 FPS, it's running at maybe a 45 or a 40 FPS, it still feels and 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 is very responsive if that makes sense. Everything doesn't slow down when the frame rate drops. It still runs at its at, at the same kind of speed but it's just a little choppier overall. And I think a lot of people don't even really pick pick that up, but I'm certainly seeing it. I see the stutters, especially in the, the big battles as well. Um, I think the cutscenes, uh, I think that they drop down to 30 uh, in general. And that's also a little bit jarring as well, but I will say that I think that's something that's like a staple of, of the, the franchise. That's not something that's been introduced in Bayonetta 3, but look, the, the game is gorgeous. It's Bayonetta. 
I think if you like Bayonetta, you're going to love the game. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely some performance issues here with with me. And um, there's also the resolution side as well. But let, let's, you know, I want to hear your thoughts about, you know, what, what I said about the, the, the frame rate stuff first, I guess. I mean, my initial thoughts are I'm not too surprised to learn that Bayonetta 3 is launching in a similar state as we've seen pretty much every other Bayonetta game well, launch at. Well, hold on. Let, let me let me stop you for a sec. And uh, okay. um, this game's been in development for five years, at least as as much as we know. It could it could have been mm-hmm. in development for even longer than that. It could be six years or six and a half years. Mm-hmm. The point here is this is the first Bayonetta game that is exclusively developed and targeted on the Nintendo Switch. It's not come from another platform. Right. So they Yeah. Wouldn't you wouldn't you think that they have every possible outlet at their disposal to get this game running at sixty based on that? Including with Nintendo's help, who obviously worked very closely with Platinum on this game. Wouldn't you think that they they would have had enough here to get this game running at, at sixty or at least um closer to sixty or at least running more at sixty versus what we've got today. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. And that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Oh dear. Yes. And sometimes... It doesn't quite work. And you have, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off? The, <laughs> way, the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out The Gaming Blender on all your favourite podcast platforms now. You would think yes, especially as you brought up that this is exclusively developed for the Nintendo Switch that this isn't a project that had started on older hardware and was ported over. Because when we look at like a title like Bayonetta 2, we know that some form of the game was in development for the 360 PS3 era. Mm-hmm. And then it was when Sega lost faith in the franchise that Bayonetta 2 was shelved. And then came, in comes Nintendo with the Wii U with a check to get the game over to the Wii U. And that was really a move to help bolster their library in Japan and Western audiences with this mature, fast-paced action adventure game. So when you look at Bayonetta 3 for the Switch, and as you were mentioning, Nintendo's assistance and five years of development, we can also view it as Platinum has an intimate knowledge of the Switch hardware. We have a port of the wonderful 101, Mm -hmm. which maybe didn't lend all that much education to the studio but they also had ported bayonetta one and two over to the switch back in 2018 so they i would view those as kind of a testing project right let us familiarize ourselves with the switch's new hardware let's not forget astral chain as well i mean that's another game that they they worked on yes exclusively for the switch yep and that was a title that targeted 30 fps Mm mm-hmm but that seemed like it was the right decision for that game. 
they knew where they wanted to go with the visual fidelity and the concessions that they would have had to make to get that game to run at 60 FPS probably was just too great for them to justify. So they went to 30 FPS. And now when you're describing Bayonetta 3 and it targeting 60, but the majority of the time performing, we'll say anywhere between 40 to 50, mm-hmm. we'll be generous and go up to 50. It's sounding as though when reviewers were playing the game, because the game was within that range, that they were perceiving rock solid performance. Yes. Because if you get a steady 45 frames a second with good frame pacing, you're going to believe the game is running smooth because you don't have anything to compare it next to. You didn't, if you don't have a long period of 60 FPS fast combat, that drop from 45 to 40 isn't going to be jarring. Mm-hmm. But dropping 60 to 45, you're going to notice that. Right. And frame pacing would definitely play a big role in that. So 45 with good frame pacing, it's going to feel responsive. And you're not going to notice that the frame rate is sub 60. Yeah. Now, 45 is generally the area Bayonetta 2 was at when it was on the switch back, you know, four years ago now, not unacceptable, but it's definitely makes a debate come up where should you as a developer look at this saying we're targeting 60, but we are rarely if ever maintaining 60 FPS during exploration combat and all of these scenarios that maybe the final concessions should be, Let's just cap it at 30. Yeah. I think they should have put in a 30 FPS cap option in there. And, you know, make it make it um, selectable because some of the fans are probably okay with playing the game the way it is. Lots of fans are probably okay with it. But I think overall, if you have a smoother performance, even if it is 30, but you have steady frame pacing, uh, you know, and for, like I said, for me, it's very jarring to see frame rates move around so much. Um, I would have really liked to see a 30 FPS cap. We've seen something like that work really well, especially with some of the earlier Forza Horizon games where, you know, the game would just be butter smooth at 30 FPS with the zero frame pacing issues. So it's just that flat line. We've also seen games like The Last of Us Part 2, the, the, I guess the, the original version that came out on the PS4 was 30 FPS, but it, it it felt really responsive and it ran really well. So it, and in some ways it almost felt like it was running faster than 30. So there's definitely ways where they could have really added a 30 FPS cap and made it feel really good. And uh, I think Platinum probably missed the boat on that one because I would have liked to have seen it. Do you think that 30 FPS had it been an option would have been a critique that some individuals would have used against the game because as you mentioned like there are many games that use it and one thing that we're seeing from next generation hardware thanks to the support of 120 megahertz Mm -hmm. displays is that we're seeing games that will target 40 fps as an optional mode like ratchet and clank rift apart where they favor greater visual fidelity at 40 frames a second so they can enable ray tracing and all the bells and whistles 
that they had to have limitations on when they went to 60 frames a second, yeah. but they wanted to have a greater resolution than what they were getting at. Like yeah. you went down to 30 frames a second and they were like, well, you know, you, we lose a little bit of the smoothness, but we have greater visuals. Is the, is a game like Bayonetta three in this case, would it have benefited from all of those types of options where at 30 FPS, you would have seen an increase of resolution because again, this is a game that isn't even 1080p native. So we're looking at a game that isn't outputting at native resolution, nor is it hitting its target frames a second. Right. So it really makes you stop and ask, should further concessions have been made so that you could have got a locked 1080p, even if it would have come at a 30 frames a second performance because right now you're just kind of in flux you're getting a i mean what would you say based on your play maybe 900p while docked i would say i would say 900p while docked and that's being a little generous as well it could be a 720p um bottom Mm -hmm. end and in portable mode oh it gets it can get pretty low sometimes like i can see it flicking around a little bit, especially in the big battles. It could it could drop as low as like 420p almost, or um, I don't know if it gets any lower than that, but it's I've definitely seen it get pretty low, at least in it's how it feels. So do you, so in your opinion, do you think had they favored 30 FPS, capped it there, would that have been able to rectify some of these resolution issues and allowed them to maintain a native resolution of 720p while in handheld mode and 1080p while docked? I think so. I mean, if you give them the 30 FPS cap and the game is kind of trying to run at 60, but it's only hitting, let's say, 45 FPS on average, then you've got, you know, if you cap it at 30, then you have that additional overhead that you you have kind of in your pocket to to make sure that your resolutions are adequately boosted. I think you could probably get it to 1080 at 30. At least you could get 900 P at 30. I would, I would say that would be um, pretty comfortable. And yeah, in handheld, you'd you'd probably be getting that 540 P locked, maybe a little higher than that. You could, you could be pushing 720 um, in some, in some areas, but it, it would definitely provide that overhead where you could say, yes, I'm, I'm going to boost the resolution because I'm running at 30 FPS, so mm-hmm. I, I don't have to work as hard. But I guess the other thing you brought up, you know, you made me think about something as you mentioned the the kind of um, performance, and that is this game is a very ambitious game. There is a lot mm-hmm. going on. There are a lot of big battles. Uh, there's a lot of enemies on screen at one time, especially, you know, when there's, there's these big massive battles going on, there's sometimes there's like two of these big monsters on screen and you have to basically get rid of them both. So in on any given kind of uh, verse that you're in, there could be, you know, literally millions of polygons, you know, that are being generated and being thrown around the screen at a, any given time. And part of me feels like that Platinum went just through the the kitchen sink at this game to really make it the biggest and best Bayonetta experience ever. And Mm -hmm. in some regards, they've succeeded 
because there's there's just so much to the combat and there's so much to this game. But I also wonder if maybe they went a little overboard with this stuff and, and you know, made some concessions to, um, you know, the, the combat and, and, and the, uh, the environments and the number of polygons and stuff like that to where they could have, you know, got performance a little closer to 60. But look, I don't, I'm not saying that's, they did the wrong thing. I, I think they, they did the right thing. But, you know, it, it to me, I guess the big takeaway of, of the FPS out of all this, I feel like Platinum doesn't really, and I hate to say this because and someone's going to take this the wrong way, but maybe Platinum doesn't see this as important in terms of perform- getting the performance at a lock 60 as someone like I do, if that makes sense. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's all about the way the, the game feels and controls and looks. And I think, you know, it's good enough. It does the job. And I guess, you know, if you look at the reviews of this game, a lot of reviewers, I mean, the majority of reviewers didn't even call out performance. There are a couple that, um, that you know, that, that kind of rated an 80 or below that did call out performance. So I think it's it's something that most reviewers didn't really seem to notice, but there were others that, that did. And, and I certainly fall into that camp, but I, I think platinum really just, you know, the, the mission statement of this game is, you know, this is the biggest and best Bayonetta that you've ever played. Um, unfortunately, the performance is probably, it's not PS3 Bayonetta one levels, Nate, <laughs> but it's, it's not great, you know? And I think, they they probably know that, but um, look, I, I I think they could have done a better job here. See, that's the curious thing, and whenever it comes to any game, there's always the discussion about the vision of the artist, mm-hmm. and performance is definitely one of those areas where the artist, in this case, the developer, has a goal in mind, and. That's why we see these games target 60 FPS because they believe they need that level of smoothness to accurately depict the art on screen. But from my view as a consumer, a critic, however you want to label me, if you're not achieving that visionary performance, then are you really just leaving it up to 60 FPS because you as the artist in this case understand 45 is smoother than 30. Yeah. I want to get it smooth as I can and I need that extra leverage. I know I'm not going to hit 60. We will say in press releases and interviews that we're targeting 60, fully aware we're never going to adequately achieve that goal outside of a few instances here and there. But it just comes back to that argument of if 30 FPS is stable and you can maintain it and the game is still responsive, it may be, you know, the best bet. And I understand there was a huge controversy and debate just recently with Gotham Knights being 30 frames a second, which very likely was just the artistic direction of the game there as well. And a lot of people are very upset by this. And it's definitely a case-to-case 
basis as to is 30 FPS adequate for the genre of the game. So it's definitely going to be a debate for every release. It's just when you see these fluctuating performances that it seems to come up more and more. And Bayonetta has just been a constant where it doesn't achieve 60 FPS unless it is played on significantly more powerful hardware than the original version is released on. I think the worrying thing about this game though, Nate, is that it's regressed. I feel like performance has regressed, you know, from Bayonetta Mm. 2 and, and, and Bayonetta on the Switch. Again, it's more ambitious. It's a bigger game. But overall... We're going in the we're going in the wrong direction. You know, we, we should be mm-hmm. we should be approaching sixty FPS for this game. And honestly, yeah. I I'm a little disappointed that that the game doesn't hit sixty more often. I felt like that you know it, again, it's been in the oven for such a long time that maybe this was the game that really kind of broke free mm-hmm. and just pushed performance closer to to that you know that fabled lock 60 experience but unfortunately that is not the case at all and we're going to have to wait for whatever comes next uh, after this and you know that could be on different hardware as well i I would say it probably is Mm -hmm. so um we'll see what what that that looks like and as you mentioned with ambition if you're creating this ambitious project with huge legendary epic demon battles where the beast take up the entire screen and you're moving at a fast rate. If that's the ambition you are looking to achieve, I understand the importance of visual fidelity, but if performance is being impacted in a significant way, whereas in, I believe the large scale battles in the game are capped at 30 FPS. They don't even try to target 60. Right. So platinum did recognize that they were prioritizing visuals in this case. But if that also dips, let's say, mid-20s, isn't that a case of kind of the developer to look at what is there and see, are there concessions we can make? Do we have to change the scale of the project a little bit? Or is it just a matter of, as you're playing it, that this is good enough? Yeah. Yes, it's not flawless, but this is what we wanted to deliver it doesn't negatively hurt the game in any way. It is still playable. It's just far from perfect, but it's more than adequate. Yeah. I think so. That's, I think so. So that brings me to a question of, from your limited experience with the game so far, do you believe that the performance issues are due to limitations of the Switch hardware, or do you think this is just an optimization issue due to the engine used for these games? It's a tough question to answer because we don't really have any insight onto what engine Platinum is using for the Bayonetta games. Because mm-hmm. I could argue that they've never been able to get it right in ever, in any Bayonetta game that they've ever released on any hardware platform. So in one regard, you could say, well, the common denominator here or the, co- the common thing between the hardware platforms is the engine that they're using for the Bayonetta games, right? Mm-hmm. So you could you could say that the engine is not is not optimized correctly. But you could also put in a case for the Nintendo Switch and say, well look, the Switch is now um, you know, it's past its prime. And is it really a capable system of running a game like this? And 
is it something that Platinum may have held back, they should have held back this game for the release of whatever comes next as a launch title with better visuals and a better frame rate. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, it, it's hard for me to, to kind of pinpoint and tell you an answer, but if I was to, to speculate, Nate, it's easier to just to throw shade at the Switch and say it's the Switch's fault, it's not powerful enough. But look, <laughs> we've, seen, we've seen the cream rise to the crop on the Nintendo Switch if you put enough time and work into a particular project. And I guess... It goes back to what I was saying about five years with this game. I felt like maybe we should have gotten something better than than what we did. But I think ultimately it's it's the engine that that runs the Bayonetta games. I think that it's while it's it's very very good on the Switch, it still needs some optimization. And whether we we see that, I'm not sure. But I I would I would put more weight on on the engine versus the hardware at this point yeah i would agree with your assessment there because as you mentioned the common denominator in all bayonetta cases is that none of the games have ever launched in a flawless state and they're very rarely patched to improve performance the ps3 version did receive some patches to smooth things out a bit and increase the resolution but by then the damage had been done the game was already dubbed you know slow-mo version and a significant portion of the audience went to the 361 because it was a quality release also had far better resolution yeah but the fact that the 360 ps3 wii u and now switch versions have all had performance issues it does seem as though it is an optimization issue and I would go one step beyond just the engine itself, that it's just a fundamental flaw in the design process at Platinum Games, where it's either a case of funding or that their scope and their vision for games, there's just no one there to kind of rein them back in and say, we understand what you're trying to do here, but what you're trying to display and what your vision is going to be is that it's too much for the hardware that you are targeting. And as you cited before, Astral Chain, that was a game that they contained to what the Switch could handle. They kept it 30 FPS. They made visuals that are impressive for the hardware itself. You could have done the same with Bayonetta 3, because at this point you have an intimate knowledge with the hardware. You know its capabilities. You are aware of what it can do. And it feels as though with their ambition, they went too far and this again it doesn't make it a bad game it doesn't make the performance a catastrophic failure as you were citing it all depends on your perception of frame rate and how you respond to it and as we were mentioning if it is a steady 40 to 45 or 45 to 50 fps majority of people are not going to detect those drops because you're already performing at a low frame rate And this is a bit of a hyperbole comparison, I will admit this. It's no different than when we were younger and we played N64 games at 15 frames a second. Absolutely. Absolutely. We didn't know they were running in slow motion. Right. We thought it was running well because we didn't have anything to compare it in terms of context. Yep. We didn't have a 30 FPS running version next to the 15 frames a second. And then F-Zero X came out. 
and, and it's like yeah this is 60 fps yeah or we played perfect dark without the expansion pack <laughs> you're like man this is a lot different than when i played it with you know with yeah but it was also you had so many characters on the screen and you know it's it ultimately comes down to the consumer and what you find acceptable in game performance but i think overall many are going to experience the game they will as you were saying the gameplay itself is enjoyable oh it's fantastic really it's just good. just expecting a little more from the performance especially from platinum the third entry the what now third or fifth game on the switch hardware and yeah. when you look at the development time of the title spanning over five years you would have just expected a, something a little more optimized for the platform that it was targeting so definitely going to be interesting as how people respond to the game as they get their hands on it and play it over the weekend to see if they find any of the frame rates and performance as a detractor in their experience because frame rate is always one of those discussion topics where some will play it they'll hit a 40 fps drop from 60 and say i can't play this yes some people will get sick from that type of motion droppage mm-hmm so it's going to be interesting how people respond as they get their hands on the game, make it further and further through the game. So if you're listening to this over the weekend and you have put in time with Bayonetta 3, let us know your thoughts in the comment section as to how you are perceiving the frame rate and the overall performance, as well as the resolution of the game, if you find it acceptable, or if you are hoping for a little better from what is likely Platinum Swan Song on the Nintendo Switch. But we do have one more topic to go over in regards to Bayonetta 3. And that has been the epic saga known as the Helena Taylor voice actor pay dispute in regards to Bayonetta 3. So this has now spanned over, I believe it's going on, what, week number two? Yep, two weeks. And we haven't brought this topic up on an episode here because frankly when it first broke it felt as though there's going to be more information come out about the story didn't want to do a reactionary episode wanted to wait for facts to come out a few days after taylor put out a series of videos bloomberg followed up with a report helena taylor then made comments about the report and then just a few days after that earlier this week she went to twitter and put out another very bewildering statement and i'm going to give a quick summary of events right now because if you haven't been following this it's it's quite the story and it's good to understand why this became such a big deal over the last couple of weeks so when bayonetta 3 was announced and not when it was announced when we first saw the first gameplay trailer i believe it was just what last e3 so E3 2021, or sometime in 2021, people noticed that a new voice actress was voicing the lead character. It was then confirmed that Elena Taylor was no longer voicing the character and Jennifer Hale had taken over. The reasons for the swap were not made clear at the time. There was just some mention of disputes and everything was under NDA. Then in October of this year, just several weeks ago, Elena Taylor went to Twitter and made a series of videos where she 
exposed the truth or what she perceived as the truth where she painted a picture of her living situation as well as her mental health claimed that the Bayonetta franchise was worth in excess $450 million claimed that platinum and Nintendo offered her $4,000 to voice the lead character for the entire game. This was then looked into to see what union wages would have paid a voice actor in interactive media. And it was discovered that this would have met the minimum wage requirement. She said that this was a dispute for fighting for fair wages for voice actors in the industry and put Platinum Games and Kamiya as well as developers, basically anyone involved in a very negative light and called on fans to boycott the game. She also attacked Jennifer Hale, her replacement, and went as far to say that she has no right to sign any Bayonetta merchandise, that she is a fake Bayonetta. She is not the real Bayonetta, that Taylor and Taylor alone is the one true Bayonetta. Now, this gained a lot of traction. A lot of fans saw the videos and immediately sought to boycott the game because they saw the $4,000 figure, which is a very low rate of pay. Other voice actors came out and looked at it and said, we have had similar compensation for smaller roles. This rate of pay isn't all that uncommon in the industry, but considering it was her third time as the lead character of Bayonetta, the franchise has grown over the years, $4,000 still felt low. Now, at the time when you would investigate this more thoroughly, you could come to the conclusion that from a legal standpoint, Platinum Games didn't do anything wrong. They met the union minimum. And I believe they even went over it a little bit. So as far as all of that was concerned, they were paying a fair wage as far as union minimums were concerned. As the days went by, Bloomberg then comes out with an article which cites that Taylor was actually offered in the area of $15,000 to voice Bayonetta and Bayonetta 3. That she negotiated with Platinum for a higher rate where it was reported that she asked for $100,000 or in the fi- or six-figure salary plus residuals to voice the character. It is then when Platinum would not meet those demands that she walked away and Platinum found a new voice actress to take over the role. When she was asked to comment on that article, Elena Taylor said she wanted to put the bloody game behind her and that she was done with the topic. Several days later, she returned to Twitter and put out a series of tweets. And in the tweets, her motivation was because people were calling her a liar and a gold digger. So she felt the need to defend herself and her reputation within the gaming industry. And I will quote and read a series of her tweets. She posted, 
As I posted on part three of my video thread, I explained that their first offer was too low. That offer was $10,000 total. Remember, this is a $450 million franchise, not counting merchandise. I then wrote in Japanese to Hideki Kamiya, asking for what I was worth. Asking for what I was worth. I thought that as a creative, he would understand. He replied saying how much he valued my contribution to the game and how much the fans wanted me to voice the game. I was then offered an extra $5,000. So I declined to voice the game. I then heard nothing from them for 11 months. Then they offered me a flat fee to voice some lines for $4,000. Any other lies, such as $4,000 for five sessions, are total fabrications. Miss Taylor went from calling the Bloomberg article a lie to confirming the exact information that the article had published. She continued to push a fabricated worth that the Bayonetta franchise is worth $450 million, a value no one can verify beyond taking very rough sales data and multiplying it by $60. And even then it doesn't come out perfectly, which everyone knows that 9 million copies of Bayonetta were not sold at full price. So the $450 or $450 million figure was always suspect. But as I read these tweets, it became very clear to me that outside of her initial lie, she continues to propagate a lie that is built on a sand foundation where she put out in her initial videos that she was only offered $4,000 to then retract the claim in these series of tweets stating that the $4,000 was after the fact. It was for a cameo appearance, which the Bloomberg article had also reported. To omit that you were offered $10,000 to initially reprise the role. And then through negotiation, which shows that Platinum Games and Kamiya did value her contribution to the game, came back with a $5,000 increase to push it over $15,000, which she still didn't find adequate. Yeah, I mean, that was a really, really good summary of, of everything, by the way. Um, I hadn't really quite heard the whole thing uh, chronologically, so that was really well done. So I think what happened here, like, I think what happened here, Nate, is she came out with those original tweets and everyone immediately believed her story and mm -hmm. was sympathetic with the situation and it made her look really good. The problem is, the problem is, I feel like she knew that because the other party, in this case, Platinum and or Nintendo, is under NDA, that they were never able to respond publicly and counter any uh -huh. of those claims because then they would have basically opened themselves up to breaching that, that same NDA that they had created in this environment. So she... She broke NDA and and said this story, right, in the hopes or in the, the assumption that this information would never get debunked because there was no way that would happen. But what she didn't realize was Jason Schreier, who 
loves digging around and finding out things, was very, very quick to get, you know, the real the real story here. And look, I think Plat someone at Platinum fed him this stuff. Like I don't think Platinum themselves obviously could have ever responded publicly other than Camille's tweets basically saying everything is everything is BS and mm-hmm. you know, I'm gonna block people if you mess with me type of thing. I think ultimately she wasn't really and she kind of mentioned powerful journalists in her follow up tweets. I, I think she used those words or yes. the industry has yeah, she, yeah, she tried to imply that Shrier's reporting was yeah like inaccurate and it was it's just very immature approach where it was trying to like sully her name intentionally and slander her right so she got completely exposed after jason was given the information and i think again i mean it doesn't really matter in the context of the story but i think someone at platinum gave this information to reporters because they, they certainly can't firsthand assume that they know anything about this and they just let the press deal with it. And that's exactly what happened. And once she was exposed for being dishonest and, and misleading and not providing all the information, that's when she kind of put her defense mechanism up and tried to damage control or basically discredit the information, but essentially just, confirming that the story was absolutely correct anyway. So I think that's, I think that's what happened here. She, she tried to pull a fast one over everyone and knowing that no one would, would counter that information. And in the end they did. And, uh, you know, she was exposed for being basically just dishonest. I think the most disappointing aspect of this story for myself is that there is a very real conversation to have about industry wages, not just for voice actors and voice actresses, but also for artists, testers, programmers, all areas of the industry. And had she been forthcoming with honesty, had she come out and said, when the initial negotiations took place for me to partake in Bayonetta 3, I was offered $10,000. I believe my value was worth more. Mm-hmm. I had sent an email off to Hideki Kamiya requesting additional money due to my contributions to this franchise and the importance that I have placed to this character and to the audience. And then they came back with an additional $5,000 to equal $15,000. I then rejected that offer as well, believing my worth was greater than this. I believe had that been the story, had she approached it with honesty with that, you still could have created a conversation of what would be a fair rate for a lead character in a video game. Now, $15,000 in this type of case where you're going in for about four sessions, so we're talking about 12 to 16 hours of work. It feels as though it would be fair compensation. Yeah. I mean, I I think again, I I think Helena was like, she probably felt like she had a lot more leverage to negotiate um, what she wanted for, which was six figures. 
because she's yeah. seeing how well the Switch is doing. The Switch is just absolutely killing it. She's seeing the numbers out there. Like, this is not the Wii U anymore. This is not Bayonetta 2 where it's a really small, you know, user base, right? This is potentially uh, a really big deal. And it's been, you know, it's been eight years since the last game. And um, she maybe in her mind, she just kind of felt like I'm an absolute lock for this role and I'm going to walk in and ask for what I want because they're going to give it to me. And I think, you know, we ended up finding out that that was not the case whatsoever. Yeah, and see, that's the thing is that had she been honest about the situation and didn't even have to exaggerate the franchise's worth of $450 million, which is easily refutable. Yes. But had she just come out and said, I voiced Bayonetta 1 back in, what was it, 2000. 2009, I want to say. I think it was originally anyway. I'll say 2009. I voiced the original character back in 2009. I was paid 3,000 pounds to voice the character in 2009. That same title has now been re-released on Wii U. Mm -hmm. Xbox One and PS4. Yep. Switch. PC. And I did not get any royalties. I did not get any additional payment. Bayonetta 2 comes out. Let's just assume the rate was very similar. Let's just double it just yeah. for the sake of the conversation. It went up to $6,000. Okay. That game was then re-released on the Switch. You did not see any additional royalties. Bayonetta is featured in Super Smash Brothers, a game that has sold in the area of 30 million copies. They used archived voice samples of her character for the game, meaning she did not get any royalties or residuals. Right. If you approach the topic like that and painted a full image based on truth and how the industry needs to have a very serious conversation about how they need to pay out to voice actors and voice actresses in the industry and use these as examples of, I got paid once, the game continues to get re-released, I don't see any extra money, you could have created a conversation. You could have had a debate where people could analyze this and say hey maybe the maybe union voice actors need to sit down and have this conversation with the industry of we need to set milestones if your game sells in excess of this much we get a certain percentage as a bonus yeah if you when you re-release the game you know, not necessarily a full wage, but even 50% of what we paid you the first time you get as a royalty check. Those are the types of conversations that this could have led to. Instead, what it led to was scrutiny Mm -hmm. and wonder of what is, what's next? Yeah. Because how can, how can you have the conversation now? Like there's the silver lining is she did expose that the industry does have a low wage issue. But you did it through deception. Yes. You, by making it a personal affair, you minimized the cause you claimed you were fighting for. Yeah. Make it an industry-wide issue that you were looking to expose, not for your own personal gain. And then to call for the boycott was a very extreme take 
which didn't really that led to nothing because you were then exposed through articles and then your own tweets that you lied. So it's not even you don't have to view the Bloomberg article as fact because her response to the article was confirming the article. And it hurts the conversation that needs to be had. And now is not the right time to talk about what is fair compensation for voice actors or even any other job in the industry, because my thought process is if you are willing to boycott this game because of an, what you perceived as an underpaid voice actor, are you prepared to boycott any other game in the industry due to the underpaid programmer, right. the underpaid quality tester, the underpaid developer, the underpaid artist, the, the studio that has crunch? Are you prepared to boycott the entire industry? Because almost every position, depending on region the developer is located in, has some has some position that's underpaid. Yeah, that is undervalued, and that is a conversation the industry needs to have as a whole, where they have to address these problems. And I am not naive enough to say I have the answer because I don't. Because what is the value of any job position? Because you could ask anyone at any job, be it in this industry or outside the industry of, are you being fairly compensated? And someone's going to say no. And they're very likely not. But what is fair compensation? I don't have the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Nobody yeah. does. I mean, there's there's like 400 people that worked on Bayonetta 3. Uh, if you roll credits on it, there's, there's a lot of people that worked on that game. And, you know, calling for a boycott is just, uh, I mean, it, it always bothers me when I when I see stuff like that come up because there are so many so many people that worked on this game. Most of them probably weren't paid what you know what what the actual wage or what what their what what their skill set would tell you know tell them that they should be getting paid. I think most of them were probably underpaid, especially when we look at you know the the wages that they pay um, over in Japan. There's, they're, they're quite a, a bit lower than, than what we get here in the United States. So, you know, that, that whole boycott talk was really, it really kind of bothered me when, when I saw her mention that. Even, even in the beginning when we all believed that her information was correct or, you know, we, we just assumed that she was, she was hurt and, um, and the information was accurate, even calling for a boycott. The first thing I thought about was there's like 400 people that worked on this game, you know, how would they be feeling right now seeing this tweet mm -hmm. of yours, you know? Um, and if it did actually get some traction, which it did for a short while, you know, that, that, that would be devastating to a lot of people, I would think. And even like, you don't even have to just look internally at these studios for underpaid employees. Look at how many of these studios use outsourcing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And outsourcing is specifically tailored to save the company's money yep. is to pay as little as they can to get work done, be it on assets or whatever have you. That's where the industry as a whole needs to address the wage issue. This could have brought that to light in a positive means had she been honest with the information and just presented it yeah. in, an, in an accurate manner. But by using deception, 
it hurts that conversation now. Mm-hmm. And that is a great detractor yeah. from what could have been a meaningful moment yeah, and, and for the industry as a whole. You're right. Nate, and this isn't it. Unfortunately, like it, we're going to have to wait for something else to come up. Um, and it will, it's inevitable that, you know, well, something else will happen where we hear about, um, some predatory wages that are being paid or just, just something because someone will speak out. But unfortunately this, this could have been a, a huge platform to, you know, uh-huh. open, open a light on the video game industry and the really low wages that 99% of the industry pay out to uh-huh. its people and how un- and people are being treated unfairly, but yeah, unfortunately, you know the 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 whole that whole story has been sullied by this this you know this um, back and forth with with Helena Taylor. And that's the thing is that she could have stand she could have stood arm yes. to arm with the other voice actors and actresses in the industry and said, "This was my offer. I found it too low. We need, we can stand together and." get new rates mm-hmm. we can demand more from this so we can get fair compensation and when i say fair compensation when she put out her tweet she was looking for a living wage where it was perceived as though she was looking for a full year salary right for just one job and that is not how the voice acting industry works these individuals hustle they take on dozens hundreds of voice acting jobs to make ends meet unless you are in the upper echelon of voice actors and you're the full-on performers like a troy baker who isn't going to go that route but even he isn't just doing one project a year oh yeah he's grinding too he's doing all sorts of stuff he's he's grinding all of them are grinding whereas her tweets put out the idea of i want to do this one gig yeah and not work all year and when it comes to the wages, this will be, you know, a point of contention for many people of what's $15,000 of fair pay. Given her resume and her body of work in the video game industry as a voice actress, she only has three games to her name. Bayonetta 1, Bayonetta 2, and now, or what would have been Bayonetta 3. Right. She is not a in-demand voice actress. Yeah. So you cannot command the highest of wages. Jennifer Hale is an in-demand voice actress. And I would bet a lot that her pay for Bayonetta 3 was in line with the $15,000 that Helena Taylor was offered. I would not, I do not believe it is a case where she got significantly more money. Yeah, I, I I would agree with you, Nate. I would agree with you. And the thing, like, Platinum and Kamiya were attacked heavily when the story first came out. And people say, look, Kamiya is overreacting. He put out one tweet where he said, basically, just boiled down to, this is untrue. I think a lot Claims of people are also, not true. I think a lot of people also didn't know what type of persona Kamiya has on Twitter. And that just, that just added right. fuel to the flames initially because it made uh-huh. him come off like he was kind of an asshole. And look, he is on Twitter. Let's be honest. His, 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 you know, uh, his persona on Twitter really can be annoying, but I also have to empathize with him as well because, you know, he's, he's in another country. He's in Japan. He's seeing these, this barrage of tweets and this barrage of hate coming his way. 
he's like thinking to himself, what is going on here? Why, well, what is happening right now? But, you know, he responded in, in the only way he knows best. And I think that was probably not a smart move by him at the time. He probably should have just stayed off Twitter that particular day. But, you know, it's if there's anything, though, I will say about Kamir is he's always been consistent, you know. Yeah, his thing that a lot of people misperceived is that when he were was blocking individuals, people took that as though he was trying to silence the truth. Right. Where he makes it very clear in his pinned tweet. If you tweet at me in English, I will block you. And he was getting a barrage of English tweets. So his stance is and his policy is he blocks you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't him trying to silence anything. That is just how he operates. He did not respond to anyone with hostility. He put out the one tweet of, yeah, this is untrue. And people, you don't have to like Kamiya. You don't have to like his online persona. That's fine. Just have to understand the situation. And you had, I think the surprising thing is the amount of industry individuals, developers who were ready to go stand against platinum games when everything came out and since the story has been clarified and additional information came out, they don't have that energy Mm -mm. to come out and say, my initial reactions were wrong. I, you know, yeah, I apologize to Kamiya, the individuals at platinum games, to Jennifer Hale, to the individuals who were caught in a momentary lapse of judgment where I overreacted the energy faded as soon as there wasn't a situation that they perceived to rally behind. And if, if you still want to boycott the game, that is your right. As I've said, when it came to other boycotts, like the Activision boycott that began a year ago, you may not, you may not be able to change the world by not buying an Activision game, but by not buying the game, you can change your world. Right. And that's the world that matters for you. Do what you feel is right. So if you still view the situation and you believe it negatively for Platinum Games as an industry as a whole, and you don't want to support the release of Bayonetta 3, by all means do so. That is your personal decision, your personal right to do so. Yeah, well said. And look, I mean, you know, I'm just honestly, Nate, I'm just glad the games is 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 out. And we can move on from from everything because it, it's been uh, reading about this stuff over the last couple of weeks and seeing everything unfold has been just it hasn't been fun. I think anyone that is involved in the in the video game industry is probably just not feeling great about this one at all. You know, um, for for many different reasons. And again, you know, my biggest thing here is that there are a lot of people that worked on Bayonetta three and. And those people should be applauded for, for you know, the work that they've done. And um, there is a bigger conversation about wages mm-hmm. in the industry. And, you know, hopefully we'll get a, uh, a time and a place where that, that comes to light again. And, and this time it's the focus rather than the byproduct of, you know, some back and forth that, that, that have ha- that's happened over the last couple of weeks. Yes. That's exactly like it. This has to be a conversation that does come up. It's just now is not the proper time. Yeah. And I don't think anyone is really equipped to approach the topic with 
the yeah. nuance required. I mean, I don't Nor know. the knowledge Yeah, I, I have required. no idea. Like you, you mentioned, is 15,000 enough? I mean, to you and me, um, it sounds like it. But like, what do we know? What, what do we know about about this this role? I don't know anything about it, so I, I don't think I'm qualified to to say that if fifteen thousand is is suitable. But one thing I do know is that fifteen thousand is a lot more than four thousand dollars, and that's that's yes. a different conversation, you know. Yes, and that completely reshaped the conversation. That when you're going to come out and claim that you were only offered $4,000 for the entire game, but reality was $15,000 and you purposefully omitted those details. It means that when you were trying to tell the story, you knew the truth maybe wouldn't favor you. So you went to an extreme to get basically you conducted a parasocial experiment for sympathy and you made the gamble that the truth wouldn't come out. The truth came out. You had to respond. You responded by confirming the report. And ultimately, your response did not do you any favors because it just exposed you as a liar. And as I was saying earlier, had you just been forthcoming with the truth, I believe you could have kickstarted a very serious conversation the industry needs to have instead you may have just delayed that conversation for an indefinite amount of time because it's just like crunch mm-hmm. crunch comes yep. up every few months where we say the industry needs to con- needs to attack this it needs to get rid of this and you hear the company say we're working on it go silent and then all of a sudden their game comes out and what do we hear oh we went through six months of crunch yep. and it's it's repeated time and time again but in this case these are union employees. Unions do have rules that the publisher and developers have to follow. So there can't be progress made here. I believe they have a new contract to be negotiated in the coming weeks. So maybe this will kickstart something where the individuals in the Screen Actors Guild union are able to negotiate better pay rates or some sort of residual in royalty percentage and upcoming games moving forward. Ideally, that would be the silver lining to come out of all of this. But Helena Taylor could have been a pivotal pioneer in starting this conversation. Instead, she could have <laughs> posed detrimental harm yes. to this movement. I, I think I think you're right. And on that note, we can go to some Streamlabs questions for the week. And our first Streamlabs comes from Mr. Stud Muffin, who donated $1.69 and writes, Never doubted you for a second, Nate. The hills are not silent anymore. Damn you, Nate. Damn you. Why you told, you the fog was, told you the fog was coming. <laughs> you did. You just kept looking at that lighthouse saying it'll never roll in. And then you try to flee this, the country. <laughs> <laughs> Almost worked. It, yeah, it, it worked for a little while. I waited for you to come back and said, this time I got you. Yeah. You travel to the Pacific Northwest yeah. where fog originates. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you brought it upon yourself. Then had a dollar donation from Jackie G. Who writes, Knights of the Old Republic 3 is announced to be in development. 
Who would you rather have develop it? Modern day Bioware or modern day Obsidian? Ooh. This is controversial. Ooh. I'm going to say Bioware, believe it or not. I know Anthem was wow. was a disaster. But I think Bioware is... Um, I feel like they're hungry again to do something really, really cool. So I'm going to give, I'm going to give the gig to Bioware. I'm going to go with Obsidian because Bioware's recent releases have not been great. Um, Obsidian has still shown great ambition, talent, and storytelling, and a lot of their talent has remained at the studio. Bioware, they have to bring me back in with the next, next Mass Effect to show me that they still have the goods. I think they will. Show us. We can hope. We can hope. And then had a dollar donation from Moby Octopad. Writes, has Nintendo ever been in this position where the current console has nothing to complain about other than performance issues that a casual gamer hardly cares about <laughs> and we are six years into the life? Seems like an unenviable position in a weird way. I don't think so. Um, Super Nintendo, maybe? Yeah, that's what I was going to think. Super Nintendo. I mean, Super Nintendo oh. was so good towards the tail. Yeah. Because they were bringing out like Donkey Kong Country and just mm. amazing stuff. Yeah, because like the GameCube had issues day one with right. uh, DVDs and the controller and the yeah. lunchbox. Yeah. Um, we, we hit issues as the life cycle went on yeah. because it wasn't an HD platform and HD adoption was booming. Wii U had issues the second it was announced. It was the Wii U. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Switch's real issue right now is, as you mentioned, it was really performance issues. At least right now in the present. I guess you could argue or you could make a case that the only other issue that would be plaguing the Switch is that certain games will just never and have never been ported right. to the platform. Right. That's a good point. But, I mean, generally, if you want to look through the list of Nintendo hardware, the Switch is probably in the best position in terms of limited complaints. Yeah. So, yeah, not a terrible position to be in. Now we'd have to see what Nintendo does next. Hopefully they don't regress and introduce hardware that does something silly. Foldable screen. <laughs> Foldable screen with no controller. <laughs> Control it with yep. your mind. Your mind. And it's laggy. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last Streamlabs question for this week. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Streamlabs link in our description below. Donate any dollar amount. Ask a question. We will answer it at the end of the episode. Donate $100 or more, and we will dedicate the episode to you. I'd like to thank MVG for joining me this week, as always. Always a pleasure, Nate. Thanks for having me on. And let us know your thoughts on Bayonetta 3's performance in the comments section below after you play it, as well as the situation regarding Helena Taylor, Jennifer Hale, and the voice acting pay dispute that surrounded Bayonetta 3 for the better part of October. And until next time, continue to embrace the hate. <laughs>